Constructing Modern Knowledge podcast. This episode is a July 16, 2020 reunion of Constructing Modern Knowledge alumni representing the past 12 summer institutes. Here's your host, Sylvia Martinez. This is the second event of our CMK Celebration Day. As most of you know, if you're here, uh, we unfortunately had to postpone CMK 2020. We all know why. <laughs> We're all living with this, uh, this reality right now. Uh, Gary, I'm getting some echo. Can you mute? Okay. Thanks. Uh, and we want to welcome you for a sharing session by people who've been to, to Constructing Modern Knowledge. Uh, if you haven't been before, welcome. Uh, we definitely want to say hello to you and make this session uh, accessible for everyone, whether you've been to CMK once or last year or many years ago or not at all. So um, please... Um, Gare, can I can I get control back of the screen? You've got this welcome video playing. You want? Oh, okay, okay, I got it. Okay, I got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. There we go. So today we're um, celebrating the Constructing Modern Knowledge. We had a faculty meeting with some of the people who've been uh, our faculty for many, many years earlier okay. this morning. Uh, then this is a CMK reunion. And in about four hours, we're going to have an Ask Me Anything where Gary Steger is going to talk to Alfie Cohn, who was set to be one of our speakers at CMK20 and has graciously uh, agreed to come back for CMK 2021. And we'll share those, those dates in, in a minute uh, for you, so you can mark your calendar. Um, we're, we want to thank some of the people who contributed to make this event possible. Uh, we have our patrons our VIPs, um, our supporters, uh, our contributors, and uh, uh, honestly, all of you. And uh, we're, we're happy to do this for free. We know everyone's in different financial situations. We do not need uh, you to, to contribute. But if you'd like to, and you haven't yet, paypal.me slash Gary Steger is the place to do that. So, if you saw the email that we sent out about an hour ago, I, I, I said, I, I asked people, you know, quick quiz, anybody remember this year? Nobody? This was uh, 2009. Well, I didn't have a picture from the first CMK. Gary might, but um, there are definitely... It's definitely grown up over the years. The first Constructing Modern Knowledge was held in 2008 in Manchester, New Hampshire. We've had, we've had our events at the same hotel. Uh, it was then called the Doubletree, 
Then it switched to another name. Now it's a, I'm sorry, it started as a Radisson. Now it's a double tree. And we've grown from the first event being inside of the comedy club, literally the little stage where they do their comedy club on Saturday night to an event that fills the entire ballroom. This year was 2009. And one of the reasons we knew that the hotel was a great place to be is they never complained about the crazy things we did. Like people were dropping uh, little parachute men that were they were doing stop motion video or slow motion videos or something, and we were throwing things off of the balcony, and they never said boo to us. It was it was quite wonderful. Um, they've been super nice to us, and and we miss them. Uh, they're going through a tough time as well. Uh, the last time we talked to them, they said that they only have two employees now. Uh, hopefully, that's that's starting to change and get back to normal like like all of us um so i have a couple of people um who are here from cmk first of all if you'd like to enter in the chat what year you went to cmk or years there are a number of people who've been multiple times uh that would be wonderful to see because I started to look up, up my records and I only have records back to 2014. So if you're earlier than that, <laughs> we, we were, I don't think we were expecting that this would last for, for a decade or, or, or more. Um, oh, this one would have been my first year. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Next time. Um, so, it, it's been really great to see people returning year after year. There's somebody, there's Janet with four years. Um, I, I think Jim was a very early participant. Paul, Paul Wood, did you make it back? Um, I don't think he's yes, here. Yes, he's here. He's here? First year. Uh, for his first year. Um, so I'd love to, you know, that was, that was the comedy club year. Um, Hi, Paul. Do you want to say anything? Do you want to say hello? Why you decided to come to this crazy thing in, in 2008? Well, I came with Scott Floyd, and uh, we were both up there. And then uh, we we took the day jaunt to MIT with Gary and also lunch and then uh, did the walkabout up in Boston. And... Uh, then came back to go to work and it was yeah. just a lot, just a lot of fun. And we had a good time and, um, survived Gary driving through a rainstorm while talking to us in the back seat the whole time while he was driving. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a good trip. It was, it was a wonderful trip. Met some wonderful people. And, uh, I remember it well. I just haven't had the chance to get back to it. That uh, that was the, the first year, and you know, little things have changed year after year. Like that first year, and for three, or, two or three years, we went to into Boston before CMK started, and either did the um, the, the, the the walk, you know, the Freedom Trail walk. Uh, we went to a museum. Did both uh, that year? I think yeah, that year was a was a a, a, a good one. Um, and you're right. I think I, I was back at the hotel setting up and it was pouring when you guys were supposed to drive back. And we didn't even rent a bus. It was Gary driving a van with the, with the people who wanted to go. Um, 
And one of the things I vividly remember from that year was you guys came back having been to the museum with an idea for your project. And uh, Gary leaving the hotel at like midnight at the pouring rain to buy, I think he needed to buy rice and a tablecloth or something like that. And I'm thinking, what kind of crazy thing is happening here? Um, but that's, that's the kind of, that's, that's what it was. Um, and it changed every year. So I see, oh gosh, there's a lot of people here. How exciting. Um, would anybody else have... Uh, does anyone else have photos from their year? Would like to share what the pro the project they did? Sylvia, I can start if you want. Sure, Heather, please. I know I told you I had photos. Um, yes. We even practiced a little. Amazing. Yeah. In the two, I, two minutes of prep time we did. Two minutes of prep. All right. Let me see if this shows up. All right. Perfect. So this... 2014 this was my second trip to CMK and the only thing I came back with was I was bringing two colleagues I teach in a school in California and I teach history so I was bringing two colleagues a math teacher and a science teacher and what I I had a great time the first year it was mind-blowing it was amazing but I had worked by myself on a project and so the only thing I had in my head was that okay this year for the authentic CMK experience I want to work with a group and I was thinking about some projects and honestly I have no idea what they what they were but at the beginning of CMK for those of you who aren't haven't been there Gary gets up there and talks a little bit about the process and then he says okay who's got an idea for a project and people raise their hand and um, shout out ideas and they get they run around and write them on the top of uh, large pieces of paper at least this is how we were doing it that year and um, it's it's crazy anything goes and I had some kind of sort of ordinary idea in my head but I raised my hand and what popped out of my mouth was not what I had been thinking about on the plane on the way over what I said was I want to build a castle that defends itself and in some ways for me this is the quintessential CMK project because it got out of control really quickly it ended up with an enormous group of people with fantastic talents working on it. We ended up actually with splinter groups. Um, a group decided that they were going to build the robot dancing dragon that attacks the castle. And then somebody else coded a script for it because we decided we didn't want to be that violent. And it ended up with a dance party after the castle, you know, shot things at it. Um, but I did find the Flickr album I made. And as you can see, the castle starts out with this pile of boxes. We went to the grocery store somebody had a car and we asked for all the boxes and then you can see it start starting to take shape in um these various moments and there was a moment when we looked at it like this and we decided it was too cardboard and we went back to the store and bought contact paper to turn it into a castle so that's this but there's all this crafting going on and then there's all this coding going on in the background and physical computing to try and get it to respond to inputs and throw things back essentially um, and not all of them worked but enough of them worked so we were so into it and um, catapults it turns out are really hard to automate um, who knew but uh, 
things got even bigger. There's another dragon thing going on over here that I'm not sure that wasn't our group, but this is the dragon that attacks the castle and you can see it attacking here. Uh, Gary has video somewhere. Um, but, and it became one of those projects that students can't put down. And we were the students and we could not stop adding things. So we'd think we were done and then somebody would say, well, what if when the drawbridge goes up, the banners go down? And all of a sudden we're making wenches for it. And um, on a side note, in terms of materials, I made those banners on a brother's sewing machine that Gary and Sylvia had brought to CMK this year. And I fell in love with that sewing machine. We now have three of them at my school and I have one at my house. So, um, you know, you should get people to donate materials to CMK because we'll go home and buy them. The overall experience was what I want every student to have. We were excited by it. We were frustrated by it. We taught each other. And in the end, we split up into smaller groups. You can see that was kind of an enormous group there standing in the castle to build the separate pieces of it. And it was a great model for letting everybody be a leader and letting everybody be a follower some of the time. Um, and it was heartbreaking to tear it down. But of course, that's why we took so many great pictures. Um, and then I'll just finish with on a side note, the, the project I did the first year was trying to figure out how to build a model functioning telegraph. And um, I still do that in my classroom, though, it had to get cut this year for COVID-19, but it will come back. I'm it will, even if we're at home, I will find a way to bring the telegraph back. Um, and then the, the third year I came, I ended up doing like a little bit on four different projects. None of the individual projects were uh, particularly exciting yeah. in the long run, but what was still fundamental was the conversations I had with other teachers, other educators, and other learners about each one of the projects. And that's what I hope all my students can experience. I'm going to give you back the screen, Sylvia. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. That was, uh, that was, uh, you touched on so many of the, of the <laughs> kinds of experiences that, that people have at CMK. Uh, would anyone else like to share? You don't have to share photos. You can just talk. Um, you can well, put up your hand or just start. I'll just start then. Jim. Hey, Jim. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see all of you guys again, and even some familiar friends that are in there. And, and Heather, I love how you talked about that first opening moment when Gary gets up there and he does his thing and then turns and says, all right, so what are you going to make? And when I went to CMK in 2012, I was completely unprepared for that very moment. Because again, every other conference you'd gone to, you know, you walked in, you got your little water bottle, you found a nice seat, and you sat down over a place you could start taking your notes. And then all of a sudden, Gary completely turned around and it was all about us. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to make. I thought someone was going to tell me what I was going to make. And I was completely caught off guard by it. And it slowly goes around the room and I'm watching myself. I'm like, oh, I better have an idea. I better have an idea. And fortunately, some of that idea of like joining onto other projects came up. And so when I started seeing other people doing this, I'm like, oh, all right, good, I can do this. And what became fascinating for me is that the number of projects we worked on changed while I was there. And there was lots of opportunities to go and see what other people were making. And fortunately, I can remember going, and I can sit down and actually I sat at the table with you, Tracy, because we were working on, you and I weren't working on this one, but um, we were working with conductive paint and I had never heard of such a magical thing. And so we started playing with those things. 
and it was the year Eric Rosenbaum first came and he was sharing this new thing out there called a makey makey and like what is this incredible sort of thing and so we found lots of ways to go and put that together um, um, we took and we made you know um, an assistive keyboard you know that allowed you to move around using that conductive paint so it wasn't just a chance to go and have fun and do playful sorts of things there became a chance like after you got a moment to go and work on that so hey let's find neat applications for this really cool thing and you saw that in so many instances Josh Berker was there and that's when he made his um, record player as made a record player out of Legos which he eventually got put in make magazine and stuff and like to watch those things be put together um, super awesome Sylvia you know first showed up over there and she was a huge person like oh my gosh this was like a celebrity so the number of people that came in um, even Casey Neistat um, if I'm saying his last name correctly and I apologize I'm not got a chance to go up there and talked and showed how he was taking simple materials at the time it was an iPhone and producing these wonderful movies and so it was so phenomenal to be exposed to people that were taking what were relatively new and novel things yet incredibly simple and be put in place and there was a phrase that was brought up and is echoed by Sylvia and Gary a number of times is that technology allowed people greater access to complex things that all of a sudden now the idea of like being able to touch, you know, some paper, all of a sudden you could make things happen. With this phone, you could be doing Hollywood level videos and stuff. And that was a constant theme that was going on. Um, I think one of the things, though, that Sylvia would want me to talk about, though, is, is one of the projects that I got a chance to work on because she brings it up before. Um, we, the project I decided to go and spend a lot of my time on was actually a, a, a wiffle ball bat. And that was really fun because, again, there's this pile of toys all over the place like, ooh, a wiffle ball bat. I want to do something with it. And so with a makey-makey, I decided to go and wrap tinfoil in different sections of that. So you created these four different levels on the bat and ran some wires to them, you know, um, threaded them through, drilled some holes, and made some contacts, and then made this big, huge, softball-sized wad of tinfoil and connected some wires to that. And what would happen is you would throw this tinfoil ball, you'd swing and hit it with your bat, and the makey-makey would sense where you touched it, and Scratch would play back, ooh, you hit it in the sweet, bot, sweet spot, or you fouled it off, you know, these four different things that I put on there. And it was fascinating to me that you could go and create this out of some incredible simple stuff and you talked about Manch Vegas in that hotel they supplied me with the wires I walked up to the front desk said, guys you have some category five wires said, yeah sure we've got some of this and they gave it to us so I mean it was fascinating the amount of materials the number of people and the breadth of the knowledge and just simply the space that CMK provided us to allow us to do a lot of this imaginative discovery this hard fun which became incredibly formative like I've told a lot of people I don't teach the way I do prior to CMK like I do now. Like it was such an impactful learning experience for me that I've tried to make it a part of everything else that I design. And it was because of what got brought together. The, the, thanks, Jim. That's all of those things. You touched on so many different things. I, I, I actually had some... Um, some uh, pictures of that year that I wanted to share because one of the things that you said was, you know, you went to MIT and saw something and uh, this is something that amazed me is well, let me, let me find the, the, uh, where is the keyboard? Um, keynote. There we go. 
So there's so there's uh, Marvin Mis- Minsky playing with the Makey Makey. That looks like it was that was that year, um, and no one had ever seen one before. And Eric Rosenbaum there on the on the left invented it and came to CMK and shared it with us. And it was just it was just an amazing thing. You know, I think that that same year was also uh, there's Super Awesome Sylvia who you mentioned, uh, Brian Silverman's uh, uh, Brian. Uh, uh, Smith's daughter Maddie, you can just see her headband. Um, we went to MIT at, at Leah Beakley's high low tech department and saw uh, GQ, who who created Chibitronics. This was her uh, display where you could touch it and the dandelion seeds would fly away. Um, there was this is Andrew Carl, who's now teaching in Barcelona. Um, this was a, a wallpaper that responded to you. You can sort of see the lily pads in there. And then what what completely amazed uh, me anyway, uh, maybe Gary expected this, but the next day people came back and did things with those ideas. This is a teacher and she was like, she, she wasn't a PhD student at MIT, but they went out and figured this stuff out. And she made things where you could touch her flowers and it would play music. It was like, where did this come from? So the idea that, you know, that the projects came from the participants was, was reinforced by, you know, these uh, sharing amazing ideas, being in a, in a space where any idea could, could grow to any size. And, um, there's nothing that we could have thought of that would have been anywhere near the fantastic ideas that came out of the group. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to use materials that were, you know, might've gone into a, a paper written by a grad student at MIT, but instead all of a sudden they were being, they were being shared with the world, you know, not just us, but the internet and videos and social media was just starting up and all these things were this hothouse of, ideas of how you could make things was was just starting Sylvia Um, Sylvia it was a constant it was a constant exposure to you know the adjacent possible what you're talking about there like you saw high low tech like holy cow I didn't know you could do this um James Deck was there and he made a robot that would respond to Twitter every time someone tweeted taco it would move across the floor and do things you know we sent up um we sent up a balloon into the sky with a stop motion camera trying to reach the upper atmosphere and so like it was just it was amazing what was going on they had there was one group that was trying to go and explain um um, oh, it was that new particle of gravity. At that point in time, they just figured out that there was, um, and forgive me, I'm going to botch the scientific piece of it, but there was some big, huge discovery with gravity, and they were trying to find a way to go and explain this right here. Explosion, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, so you got a guy over here making Lego record players, and there's another guy over here harnessing, you know, the social power of the internet, and then these other guys are dealing, you know, with high-end physics. Oh, yeah, and the guy who worked with artificial intelligence, he was there too. Like, where else do you find a group of this sort of people in these sorts of projects other than at CMK? Sylvia, can I jump in for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I made a couple notes. You know, one one is that throughout the year I buy things that that look interesting and that might potentially be useful. And when we unpack, we're often looking at this box of stuff, trying to figure out what it is. And and there's there's always a a look from Sylvia like why did you buy that? And it, it it almost always ends up being on the bleeding edge and integrated into someone's project that year. And I remember one year James Deck came to me all all 
agitated because there were so many different technologies being used. And he said, why can't we standardize on one microprocessor? One mi- I'm sorry, one microcontroller. Why don't we just have you know, the Uno or something? I said, because then we would be running an Arduino workshop, constructing modern knowledges about learning by, by doing. It's a learning, learning institute. It's not about learning how to use a specific piece of technology. Um, we, we leave the brainstorming ideas on the butcher paper up for the entire institute because it becomes a form of documentation. It helps tell the story of what happened and what unfolded under the, over those four days. And one of my favorite experiences, and I think we've captured this a few times, is when at the end of the institute, we catch someone writing their name under a project that they had expressed no interest in because they had signed on to work on something else. And we really try to convince people at the beginning that coercion is the enemy of learning, that we're going to treat you like, like human beings, like citizens, like grownups, like adults, and you can use the time as you see fit um, and take advantage of the opportunities that are available to you, but you're under no obligation to do so. And, and people don't really believe that sometimes until it's over. And then they feel guilty that they started on project A and they ended up on project Z. And we've actually seen them add their name to, to projects. And the last thing I want to say is I'm glad you, you, you shared your appreciation for the, the speakers and the, and the faculty we've assembled. Um, it's the great joy of my life to be in a position where I can share wisdom and grace and wit with, with educators. Um, you know, CMK is not like any other conference, and, and most conferences treat teachers like imbeciles or felons. And um, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of clever, but there's not a lot of wise. And, and you certainly don't run into the people who invented the thing that, that you're using or, or aspire to use. And I just have to say, you know, we had Casey Neistat before he was worth $25 million and CNN deals and, and, and blew up and, you know, and has millions of followers on, on the web. Um, we had Nicole Hannah-Jones last year before her Pulitzer, and I might add, before Oprah invested in her. Um, she just she's just become acquired by Oprah and Lionsgate, and and it's a great thrill being able to to not just be able to say I heard Nicole Hannah Jones speak or I heard Jonathan Kozel speak or I heard Marvin Minsky speak, but to be able to say I spent time with, or I went to lunch with, or I or I I played musical cupcakes with. Um, and that's, that's really special. And that's, that's why we, we put forth the effort that goes into running the Institute every year. You know, last year we had, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Who is the guy from, from the, the light artist? Carrie Cola. Carrie Cola, who came, if you were there last year, he, he did a beautiful presentation. Uh, he's in, he's into really some interesting things and he's a, he's a world renowned light artist. Like he lights Stonehenge and he came and we, you know, we bought him a ticket to cities. come. Yeah. I mean, it's big scale, big, big stuff. And, and he runs a Arboretum and, you know, he does all these other things and, and he came and he did his presentation and we bought him a ticket. We we're like, you know, you can, you, you're on on Tuesday and then you don't have to stay. You can, you know, go visit friends or whatever. And, and like that, he did his presentation and then he was still there that night. And he was like, can I stay? And we were like, sure. And he says, can I go to Boston with you guys? Sure. Can I stay for the dinner? Sure. He stayed the entire week just because he was so interested and caught up in what 
with the, in the projects that were going on and the passion. And he kept asking us questions. And it turns out he, he had a, a almost going to school child and was incredibly fearful about the experience his child was going to have in school. And we were able to say to him, things can be different. So we ran well, out of hotel also, rooms. He stayed so long. Yeah, we, we had to, put a, yeah, we, we had to move him in with someone the last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, Janet. Janet has her hand up. I I wanted to just uh, what what Kim said reminded me of so many things, um, but I really want to add on that I'm just so indebted to the combination of speakers and chance to play and reminder that uh, it's up to us to uh, hold the kind of be the bulwark against encroaching you know reform uh garbage even in the uh, independent school world it's been very difficult to fend off um a very skills-based uh reactivity uh to to the progressivism that you know uh, a lot of us were were rooted in um for me um the most gratifying experience was to uh, have lunch with uh, Deborah, I mean, personally for me, uh, have lunch with Deborah Meyer and uh, Eleanor Duckworth. And I have been using Eleanor Duckworth's ideas in my science curriculum for decades. And so to like actually meet her was a, a, a super thrilling um, that that was that was just amazing. But you know, I'm I I was one of those people who came with no tech anything. Um, I remember my first project. I was trying to get uh, something sound activated to happen, and I had to use an analog uh, sound because I couldn't figure the code out right. So I you know I had to figure out a workaround. But I did I did get what I wanted to happen to happen. So, and then, you know, the thrill of seeing uh, Lady Beakley's high-low tech work and bringing that into the classroom and seeing what the kids could do with it. So that, you know, now at our school, we have now a tradition of, of people, of teachers coming into CMK, as Marcia talked about earlier today. And the, the maker work at our school in some places is very integrated with the art teacher, with uh, uh, our our maker tech sort of person who comes into the classroom and with the kids feeling like they have a right to be makers. Um, so there's something to push back with, but the really for me, Eleanor Duckworth's idea of helping kids feel, uh, have this time and space to have their wonderful ideas and to feel good about them. You know, that's to me the most important thing that we do in education is to, to learn how to ask the right questions so that um, having that own that experience for myself uh, is incredibly important to put myself back in that I don't know how to do this space. And, you know, each summer, whether it's at CMK or in some, one of my own projects to remember what it's like to be a novice and and, uh, you know, no, it's, it's, it's an incredible dialogue between the making and the ideas. And uh, I, I miss it. So thank you. I have to cry no fair because uh, I haven't had lunch with Eleanor Duckworth and Deborah Meyer. Um, Gary, um, I want to put Janet on the spot for a minute because she talks about coming as a newbie 
and I just happened to find some pictures from 2014 <laughs> of a project that she worked on. So, um, Sylvia, if you you'll share? share the screen with me for a minute, and Janet will get to talk about her project project after she goes, oh my God, you have pictures of that? So, can I, so you can can, I share the screen? Yes, yes, please. Okay, Just click, Janet, click the share get screen. ready. <laughs> Where's my desktop? Some of some of my fondest memories are Janet, you and Marsha just just laughing, just endlessly laughing. The two of you get together, and you've been at CMK together and separately. Um, but it's just fantastic. We see your desktop, Marsha. Yay. Okay, can you see this? Can you? you yes, it's like a treehouse. You can. Okay. Yes. So yeah, and I think this was part of. This project, Janet, wasn't this the sound garden? Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, that was yeah. it. Yes. Uh, my, my, yeah, the, this was the yes, that's it. My, my, uh, uh, I forget if it was a sundew or a Venus flytrap that I made, but it would close when you came closer or if you touched it. And so, yeah, and they made all these wild sounds. And there's, all of these different Janet. people were working on all these different parts. Yep. Um, programming on Scratch. I think they used Makey Makeys. I mean, they used like every imaginable thing. It was like mind blowing. We, we had it all in there. But the thing I was super grateful for was uh, that there's JD. I was about to talk about him. JD, who, you know, can write in processing and whatever. Um, talked to Jim and the other Aaron, uh, another amazing artist and, and maker. Um, she, they agreed to make it more democratic that to use scratch because even I could use scratch. And so it was all done mm -hmm. in one language. And that for me was, I, I didn't feel talked down to, I feel, felt made a colleague and, you know, it was it was right. really lovely to work with that group of people. That that was the most amazing experience. You know the, that was I that was the same year as Eleanor Duckworth. Was it, no? She I no. think she was earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eleanor might have been so, close. Yeah, you would. Twenty twelve. You would talk and it would do all the stuff. And then they had the heart meter. Yeah, that's another project. It was, that, it was a while. This was, this was one of the first years that we expanded into this bigger space. It and, was the first year, yeah. 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 And uh, we that definitely... Was Go ahead. That was created by one person, that last project. The puppet? Yeah. Yeah. And this one was a sensory, you could talk to this parrot, you could touch it, and it did all these different things. It talked, it made its wings move. So anyway, that's my show. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you, Marsha. I appreciate that. Yay. My pleasure. You've, you've been, uh, you may have the record for the most uh, CMKs, at least in this group. Um, how many? Let's see. Oh, easy, I'm sure it's been easily. I've been here like eight, eight, eight times because Faith brought me. Faith came your first year, Faith Karan, and she brought me the second year. And I think I came like five years, five, six years in a row. And then I had <laughs> a grandchild born, 
and I disappeared for a couple of years. Busy. And then I think I came two years in a row. And then for the last couple of years, I got I moved away. I got out of the way so you could have other people from Mancona come. <laughs> well, you and Donna Collins are going to have to I'll fight back, over who's becoming longer. I'll be longer. back next year. Excellent. I'll be well, back. she and Donna can fight, but Donna's not here, so Marsha wins. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Donna uh, sent her her uh, regrets. She's uh, actually taking a vacation, so that's uh, that's a good thing. Um, uh, Bob, Bob, would you like to share? Sure, I, I would be honored to share. Um, so I, there's, my mind is just, everything is coming flooding back to me. All the incredible experiences I had there, the two times I went, the first year was, was better than the second, but still it was just wonderful. And that's why I went back a second time. Um, I, I just want to touch upon two things, the project that my group did, and then the spending time with people. Um, I don't know, I have a video of our project. I don't know if the sound will work or not. And I'll share my screen. Okay. So I'll just play it first and then I'll explain. Do you hear it? Yes. This is what's Italian. <laughs> How do you know the language that's going to speak? It's random. Hello. What's up on the right? Trash on the left. Yeah, that's right. So what we did here was I had a I had a student and, and like um I think Jim was explaining how or, or somebody was explaining how these projects are come about. I stood up and I was inspired by a student of mine who wanted to solve our trash problem at our school. And so he had this idea of making like a happy trash can that would invite you to make the trash. So I threw that out there. And before I knew it, there were like 12 people signed up for it. And we went through, or at least I did, and I suspect some of my group members, such a range of emotions throughout the week. We started off with like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? And it became a trash recycling bin instead of just a trash bin because of some other people's input. And so we started working on it. And um, I, I have some other pictures here. We used a hummingbird. Can you still see my screen? Yes. So we have a hummingbird that we use and I took lots of other pictures of lots of other things. But um, and then uh, there were times where we were all huddled around it trying to get something to work and we were frustrated and thinking, how are we going to do this? And in, in, we got two and a half, three more days. How are we going to get this done? And then all of a sudden we get one little thing to work and all of us would just erupt in cheering. And I remember sitting there at our little 
place in that room, that large room, and throughout the whole week, you would hear that in pockets coming from different places where there was, there was a little moment of success. And that was just fantastic. Um, eventually, the, the two things that I took away from this project that uh, have really affected my teaching was one, having empathy for the kids and the arc of emotions that they go through during a project that this that we're never going to get this done and then oh my gosh this is so exciting and then oh now you're in a slump again and just being aware of that arc of emotion because i was in the learner's seat at that point at this at cmk and that i found incredibly valuable because then i knew when i could i could look at my students creating a project and I could kind of identify where they were. And I could, as a teacher, I wouldn't then begin to panic because I knew maybe they were at a low and they just needed to be encouraged to get back up to a high point. The second thing that was even, I think even more valuable for me was that originally, this is not how I envisioned this turning out. And I had, to, I had to let go of my vision for this product, for, for this project, because as soon as other people came in and started to invest their time in it with me, and we all became a group, it wasn't just my project anymore. It was all of our projects. So while the, the beard, didn't really resonate with me, it resonated with somebody else. And so it was like, yes, this is our project together. Um, and so that was one of the things that was amazing about this for me is, is the empathy and recognizing that a group project is a group project. Um, and then my group, <laughs> they were so happy and they didn't want to take it apart. And I had the means to buy the uh, the electronics from, from Sylvia and Gary that one of my group members said that they would take it down to UPS. They lived in New Hampshire in, in Manchester. They would take it down to UPS, package it up. And like a week or so after CMK, I got it in a box. Now it lives in my classroom and I demonstrate it every year and it still works beautifully. Um, uh, just Fantastic. One more Thing. I, I took a lot of pictures, but speaking here is somebody mentioned earlier the hub sweatshirt, um, which was a wonderful project. But this picture, oh, this is my group right here. Here we all are together. Okay, and and it was just it was a great, great experience. But this picture right here speaks to spending time with people. Cynthia Solomon, I sat with her, I'd never met her before. I was just kind of learning about all these people. And I sat with her one evening, and I was concerned I was keeping her up too late. I sat with her one evening, and she showed me how to use turtle art. And it was just, it's one of the most wonderful experiences that I've had. And I love seeing her on all these meetings. I, I feel a connection with her even more than having just spent time with her. So... Thank you, Gary. Gary, thank you, Sylvia. Thanks for all the faculty's work. And I look forward and hope I get to come again.
So, sorry, I feel Thanks, like, Bob. Thanks, Bob. No, that's terrific. Um, Kate. Uh, Kate Tabor, you're, you've, you're volunteering. Hi, I, I fell in love with um, programming and Microworld, the logo, uh, using language instead of the snap blocks. That was my first experience doing it. My first CMK was um, 2010. And wow. we were still in a small ballroom, and that was the year I got to that that Alfie Cohn and Deborah Meyer were there, and James Lowen, who's come back a couple times, who have, have loved. The speakers were incredible. The folks at my table were wonderful, and I was working with that. My first year there, I worked with um, Microworlds, and I created a, a Shakespearean insult generator, which was lots of fun. Um, and the thing that was so fun about it was I realized the things that I didn't know about, you know, constructing code is that it's, I'm an English teacher and it's building sentences and then sentences turn to paragraphs. And if they don't speak to each other, they don't run. No one, it's, it's like writing uh, in English. It's, it's just for, for a different brain to, to uh, think through. So I loved it. And I came back the next year with, um, I had this idea, I had been to Spain and I'd been to the Alhambra and I was blown away by the tessellated tile patterns and I'm going to share my screen. I was trying to figure out how to get, this time I was using turtle art and I was trying to get turtle art to, um, to create this tessellated tile pattern and um, it was, let me see if it will do this. So I, I worked at this and I, I worked like tried it this way. I tried to understand the underlying geometry of it. I tried this. I tried that. That didn't work. <laughs> Not so well. And then I tried the next day. So I kept working at that. And then one day I figured out how to draw the shape. I was very excited. I figured out how to draw the shape in turtle art. And then I'm the one that it was Cynthia Solomon who came, who was helping me with this. And she said, well, that's great, Kate. But wouldn't it be easier if you started from a point of symmetry instead of like out on the arm? I'm just like big duh. So the next day I scrapped everything I'd done. At least I knew how to draw the shape. And I ended up in a, an hour or so being able to hmm. make the, the this, I, it would draw one shape and then it would fill the whole screen with the shape. And let's see if I've got theirs. This is the tile pattern. Wow. That I was trying to train it. And, and I, I loved, I loved the work and thinking through it and really getting to understand and kind of the underlying, because I tried a couple of different ways and failed, and, and I really enjoyed failing. <laughs> and I've taken this back to school with me. One of the things that I have loved about taking it back to school is two things. One is this um, give kids stuff to work with. In the beginning of the year, we just bring in piles and piles of PVC pipe and lumber, and we get the kids to construct an obstacle course for our fall fair. And just getting them to think through and brainstorm and put things together is just enormously fun. And then this idea that um, I'm not the expert that it's okay for me to propose that we do a project with something that I have absolutely no idea how to do. So let's figure it out together. And that has been wonderfully liberating. So I don't have to know how to do everything. And, and to get kids to think with me and for me to get to think with them and have to stop in for a second and say, you know, 
um, what if we tried this? Or I don't know, let's see if we can find someone who knows how to do that. And, and that's really been a gift. And I've enjoyed my group project. It's been four times, everything, uh, and it's been really just a delight. So I'm coming back. I was going to go back <laughs> this year, so I'm hoping that we'll be there next year. So, so that's my plan. Thank you. Well, Thank you oh gosh, much. what a great story, Kate. You, you know, um, that's one of the uh, uh, That's one of the examples that ended up in the first edition of Invent to Learn, is we talked about a project uh, that came from a completely different origin, the, the mosaic tiles, the Islamic tiling patterns of, from, from Spain, um, and, and how these small seeds spread. Um, that Josh Berker went back to his school and used the same kind of idea to, to take the turtle art pattern to a 3D printer and print out uh, tiles that the kids could paint and create stamp. mosaics, and, right, stamp, right, stamp clay and paint them. Um, and that project has been replicated all across the world. I've seen versions of it uh, done in Canada where with uh, indigenous patterns. Jim, Jim Tiffin, by the way, has a version of it. And we wrote about that in the second edition of Invent to Learn is how many places these, these ideas, how these ideas can spread without writing lesson plans, without, you know, having, having it written down more than just a, a paragraph, these powerful ideas of, of, of art meeting math. When you give kids tools that can, that can accommodate their ideas, um, how quickly they can spread. Well, so, it's a, and it's a generative process. Yeah. And all you need to do is hear the idea and then it, uh, it inspires an, another idea, which inspires another idea, which inspires another idea. The most recent iteration of it that I saw was I was speaking in, in Colombia last year and a teacher from Texas was at the event and said she had seen me present Josh Berker's work somewhere. And she went home and shared the idea with her daughters who decided to then use turtle art to design and 3D print slow feed dog bowls. Because apparently after millions of years of, of evolution, dogs are eating too quickly and we need to irritate them. Um, and, and this is actually a thing. So this, the, same, the idea that came from the, the seed that um, Kate planted ended up on the other, somewhere else being slow food dog bowls. And, and actually, the enthusiasm and excitement her daughters showed for computational thinking, for mathematics, for programming, was so infectious that they actually convinced the local mathnasium to start doing it, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, this idea of planting, you know, I, I'm obsessed by the question of what's the smallest seed a teacher can plant that grows the most beautiful blossom, the largest garden. And, and this one that, that Kate initially planted at, at Constructing Modern Knowledge literally has gone around the world a few times. It's quite, quite wonderful. It's incredible. Would anybody else like to share? Uh, maybe. We've got, oh, I saw Laura from, from Mexico. Laura? Are you there? She's got her video turned off. Maybe she stepped ah. away. Um, other people who've been to CMK. I see lots of names. You people. Or just questions for people. Yeah. Karen's waving her hand up there. 
Ah. Your real hand, not your virtual hand. Oh, there we go. Please. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's been like a month. I've not been on Zoom. I don't know how to do anything anymore. You'll need training, re-education. <laughs> Send me back. Um, I was at CMK two years in 2018 and 2019, and my colleague Debbie Hiller is here too. We came together, and the first year uh, we had very little to no experience with any of uh, electronics or coding or anything. So our um, project, along with Marsha and Debbie and Carmel Byrne from Australia and Susan Weiss, who has been to CMK many times as well, it was all focused on Scratch. So basically, Debbie and I for sure were learning how to do Scratch at CMK and then just getting blown away by um, all the other projects and possibilities. Um, and that year was when I transitioned at my school from being a preschool music teacher to being the innovation lab teacher, which was yet to be determined what that was. And so I was kind of given the reins to figure that out. And so after a year of muddling through and doing a lot of the Googles and finding that extremely boring and um, got the okay to go to CMK, which opened up the world for what um, our school does now for computer science for first through fifth graders. I teach at Columbus School for Girls, which is pre-K through 12th grade in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so another, in a, everything everybody said, I would, the second, third, and fourth, absolutely. And um, it was really helpful to have some guidance in the kinds of materials to use so I could go back then to my school and ask for funding. And so we got um, some of the Hummingbird Robotics kits and began using those with our fourth and fifth graders. And I'd actually, let's see, I'll share my screen. So those of you that were there last year will, oh, let me get the sound up here. Remember, Debbie and I worked on the um, whimsical robotic tree, which was Debbie teaches in uh, our preschool, or in our kindergarten, and I used to teach with her. It's a Reggio-inspired um, early childhood part of our school. And we made the whimsical robotic tree in honor of the kindergartners who love our woods that we, our school has. Um, so those of you that were there last year, that was the project. I don't have a video of it because I have awful internet at my house. Couldn't upload it. <laughs> anyway, what has been so amazing by going to CMKs and bringing those ways of thinking and participating in, in the CMK style project work and with my experience with um, the Reggio philosophy, then being able to bring that to our elementary students. I taught um, last year, I taught fifth grade computer science class with the art teacher, Abigail Blosser, and we did, a, it was supposed to be a year-long project. <laughs> it got cut short because the ending, I kept saying, we got to just say to the girls, what do you want to make? What do you want to make? Because it works. I was sure it was going to work. Um, 
Oh, we didn't get to that exactly because of having to stay home due to COVID. But what we did at the beginning of the year with very minimal class time was to introduce how to use the Hummingbird Robotics Kits. And then also Abigail talked about um, three different artists that are from Ohio that are women. Um, Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holster, and Maya Lynn. And we went to a local art museum that had their work and she we talked about and discussed emotions that um are evoked by the artists and watch some more videos of the artists and listening to them talk about the emotions they were wanting to evoke in the viewer so after the girls all learned the basics of the hummingbird we challenged them to design uh, and build uh, something that would evoke an emotion. And I'd like to share a couple of those, if that's okay, Sylvia, is that sure. okay? To, sure, sure. This is, these are their finished projects that were finished in January. We got it just in the nick of time. So this is Layla. Hello, Max. And this is my project. I call it the Happy Box 2000. Um, and what it does, when you hug it, the sensor goes off because it detects light. And she, so her nose is blue right now, but when she turns happy, it turns yellow, and she starts dancing and music starts playing. That was one, and it's, we found it very powerful to video the students after they had finished their project and have them reflect, like Sylvia and Ari have us do at CMK, which I don't think I ever did, because I always <laughs> was at a loss for words, but, but I think it's a great practice to, to do that, and, or write about it. This year, we're going to have um, computer science journals so the girls can have one place to sketch and draw and write. And um, we made some, I made some good use of Flipgrid this year as well with my first and second graders and their construction projects that they were doing at home. Um, here's one more uh, from Mia. My name is Mia, and this is my cow, Josephine. And um, she is a dancing cow, and the emotion I want to feel is like fun or um, happiness. And the hardest part for me was probably um, making the LED code, because like I want to find the right colors, and yeah. And then... Something that was fun was when I wanted to make the cow spin, and yeah. Oh. Hi, I'm. Oh, it was just so much fun. It was so powerful to watch the girls go from being like, "Whoa, wait, we're supposed to do this. We're gonna learn how to put all these wires together," to just digging right in and feeling really confident. 
we had a limited number of the kits. So the girls, when they switched classes, they had to take everything apart and unwire all the stuff and put it back into the bins. And then the next group would come in and collect what they needed. So it, that was actually really good practice for them remembering how to do the wiring. Um, and one last, I think another, <laughs> I wanted to also say about, I discovered something on Flipgrid that I forgot I assigned to my first and second graders. And I was like, woohoo, <laughs> that's my plan for the year. In May, I had asked my first and second graders, um, I, I'll back up. And this is related to the whole project work idea with CMK and less us, more them, more of the children's work. Um, I was, it was very anxiety producing to, to try to think about how to teach science and computer science from home. I combined the two for first and second grade and started telling us a, a video story each week that had some element that they would then build with um, household materials like cardboard and tubes and things. Um, and then I would go to lunch with them and say, what do you think is going to happen next? And that just happened to show up in the story the next um, week too. So that was fun. And then they, they shared what they made on Flipgrid and it blew me away. They, their creations and structures were much more, um, complex than I would have imagined that they would be. And so then in May, I asked them, I said, we're going to have computer science next year. Part of what we do is build things. Um, what do you think we could build using cardboard? And let's say we have to have one thing that moves. And I discovered this today. And <laughs> they have all these ideas of what we can do. And I'm like, man, less us, more them wins again and um and flipgrid is is a great way for the younger kids to share because they can't type yet and they like commenting on each other's so there's a social emotional element with that too that is really good for keeping the community connected um i think that's all i have to say <laughs> Well, thanks, Karen. The, the, that was great. And, you know, watching the kids show their work is, is, is so fantastic. Uh, less us, more them, I think, resonates with a lot of people. Uh, we, were, we were trying to figure out a way to make the L-U-M-T acronym more fancy, but because lump just doesn't... No, we weren't. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't have any. <laughs> but uh, less us more them is short enough. So um, Karen, uh, wait, Sarah. Sarah would like to share. Sarah, you're up. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Where'd you go? I'm here. And there you are. Okay. Okay. So um, just a little bit of background. Um, I was a religion major in college, and uh, I love technology. But when I got to CMK, I um, had never programmed an Arduino before. And as soon as I got there, um, I wanted to make these shoes <clears throat> that would call an Uber. Um, I'd seen something on on Twitter that somebody had made. Um, so I made this quick movie to show you. Um, and it's working right, you can see 
So yes. my group and I made a plan. Um, we went to pay less and got a shoe. <laughs> Used almost every tool that Sylvia and Gary had brought for us. Um, so I'd never programmed an Arduino before, but um, I, I was in awe of the faculty at CMK and what they know. This part was incredibly fun, like taking a shoe apart and um, hacking it. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts. And when I was talking to them, to the faculty about what I wanted to do, I told them that I wanted to program a shoe and they said, okay, do an Arduino. And then um, like Sylvia was talking about before, there were lots of people with lots of different ideas um, of how to do it. Um, but the, the one shield on top of the Arduino worked really, really well. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, what I mentioned in the- It's kind of important to me. Um, okay, go sometimes ahead. Sometimes when I was there, I really wanted someone to tell me how to do it, but they didn't. Um, and uh, I'm so glad they didn't tell me how to do it because it meant so much more to me. Um, and now I have what's called, this, I call it the CMK effect, where I see products or projects and I think, oh, I can do that. And I, I don't know, really know if I could, but I think I can. So um, that's sort of what it given, what it's given me. Uh, and I don't have my super here at home. It's in my classroom um, <laughs> because it inspires me uh, every day. Um, and during the during CMK, we were uh, funny. I was getting help uh, from overseas with a company that. Um, invented one shield because I, it wasn't working and it turned out that I had um, it turned out that I had the, the one shield for the PC so from spark fun I ordered one uh, to be sent really quickly from for the for the neck um, but it was it was one of the best experiences of my life and um, I keep it up on my shelf in my classroom just to remind me um, less us for them and then also that uh, want the kids to believe that they can do anything that they want to do um, and my favorite part is after I got back from CMK and showed uh, my students what what we've made um, they were critiquing it and telling me how they would change it which I was like great awesome let's do it and and they they were working on their own they don't think it should be on a shoe they think it should be like on a watch or on your glasses so um, I actually love that they were correcting me so I can't wait to go back I'm hoping can you talk? Scene and I'll be there next year. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about working with Skylar? Or Skylar's contribution? Skylar was huge. I couldn't, I would never have been able to do this without him, ever, ever, ever. Um, and Tracy. Um, they were like my uh, guardian angels teaching me to do things I had no idea I could do. Yeah, I always tell this story. Skylar St. Ledger has been part of the faculty for, for two years. Um, I first met him when he was 11. And every year since, Sylvia forbid me from hiring an 11-year-old and then a 12-year-old and then a 13-year-old to be part of the faculty. Uh, when he was 11, he knew how to do everything. And and he, he's, he's a nutty kid. He's, he's, you know, you can imagine he'd be a handful for a lot of teachers. Um, but he, he has remarkable knowledge and skills of of and just about any subject you could throw at him 
any technology that that we real or imagined or that we've ever heard of before and 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 i i've loved since he turned 18 he's been part of the faculty for a couple of years and i've loved the contributions that he's made and and i and i i think that the things that others would criticize or be concerned with turned out to be gifts because he's he's humble in not forcing you to to use a language that's more sophisticated than you're using or you know than than is necessary um and he he does he doesn't have the attention span to spend 45 minutes lecturing you he points he makes a suggestion he asks a good question then he moves on to something else and we we always talk about all the sort of incidental, the tacit knowledge experiences that people have at CMK. Um, and and I, I just hope that a lot of folks who have had um, their bacon saved by, by Skyler over the past few years have gone back to their own schools and thought to themselves, hey, I've got nutty kids in my school. I bet they're capable. I bet they know stuff. I bet they could be useful. I bet, you know, maybe I could delight in their company a little bit more. And I'm, I'm, I'm sharing thrilled. the, I'm yeah. sharing a screenshot of Skylar's, uh, how he kind of got famous of, he did an Ignite talk called why I love my 3d printer. And, uh, that's him in front of 10. thousands of people. Yeah. And it's, it's hilarious. So I, I can post the link if you ever, if you ever feel like watching it. But, but I, you know, I've loved having, him as part of the faculty and these great makers like Tracy and James and Josh who had been a graduate student of mine. Um, but also folks like Dan and Molly Watt, who I spoke about in the earlier session. I did, met Dan Watt in 1983. He was one of the giants of the logo community. Um, and everything I know about teaching teachers, I learned from, from being a participant in their summer institutes at a time where People didn't go away for four days. We sometimes went for two or three weeks during the summer to do things in the spirit of CMK. And I learned about how these things scale and how you keep to your ideals and how less us more them could be important and how the project could be the small, should be the smallest unit of concern and how valuable it is to encourage people to take off their teacher hat and put on their learner hat and be selfish with the experience. And I just, as a point of personal privilege, have to mention that lurking in the the chat here is an old friend of mine who I met in 1985, Marion Rosen, who's retired. Um, and I don't think I've seen Marion in 25 years. But um, anytime I think I'm doing something clever with kids, there's a pretty good chance that Marion was doing it 30 years ago. And and the the, the quick little anecdote I want to share is. I went to one of the first conferences I ever attended. It was at MIT. I was 22 years old. It was kind of heady stuff. And I hadn't written a paper for that conference in 1985. I did the subsequent years. Um, but they had kind of an unconference format at lunchtime where you could sign up for a room and you could give a talk. And at the appointed hour, I wandered into the room where I was supposed to give my presentation. And Marion was already presenting. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, um, I'm supposed to be speaking in this room. And she turned to the audience and took a vote of who they'd rather listen to. And I lost and sat down and learned a lot from her. And a great friendship was born. Um, but it, it, means, it means a lot to me that the, the stories that you're all telling about, not only how it changed your practice, but we were really proud when we started seeing panels of CMK alum 
presenting at Maker Faire and other conferences. And it, it expanded, you know, professional horizons and changed your own sort of epistemological viewpoint on the world that you see a challenge and think, oh, I can, I could do that, or I can make that thing, or I can make that thing better, or I can make a reasonable facsimile, or I'd like to learn more about it. And that, that's all in the spirit of this idea of creating a space where we, we, um, revalue, uh, amplify, you know, reinvigorate progressive education traditions using, using cutting edge materials as well as, um, as sort of the regular stuff that we might just find. Tried and true. Yeah, tried and true. And, you know, I mean, and, and we also talk about, you know, there's a reciprocal process when, when Alfie Cohn emails me and says, I took my kids to a scratch workshop or why should I be on Twitter? Or Carlo Rinaldi, you know, has run Reggio Emilia for four decades, walks in, looks around and says, I got this. I get it. This is wholly consistent with my life's work, which was the exact words that Deborah Meyer used when all the other models of using technology in education had been dismissed by progressives as being dystopian, being anti-child, being something that's done to you. And now we're offering an alternative vision that embraces modernity, but also puts the learner at the center of the experience. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled that all of you have been able to participate and that you, you've been so generous with your time and your, your, your candor of sharing with the experiences that you've had. It, it moves me deeply. I'll turn things over back to Sylvia. Well, I have a, a, another volunteer, Jeff. Would you, uh, would you like to speak up? Yes. Hi. Hi. So the prompt right there, passing the cordless microphone around in 2018 to say what you might want to make, uh, some things really just caught my ear and jumped out at me right away. Um, a woman said, I want to make a uh, augmented reality sculpture viewer. And I said, I have no idea what that is, but I'm a sculptor. I'm actually not an educator. And uh, so I said, I want to know what she wants to make. Uh, another one that caught my ear, someone said, I want to make a vending machine that could be operated by crows. <laughs> and I thought that sounded great, too. Um, I said, when handed the microphone, I wanted to make a illuminated, animated architectural model. And I went out with my cardboard sign in the lobby and held that up over my head. And I think I added augmented sculpture viewer to it. And a team of seven uh, formed around me. Uh, Four women and three men was our, our team for the next few days. And that's really kind of a crapshoot, isn't it? You sit down with uh, six people and you don't know how you're going to collaborate or how you're going to work together. And, and, and it could go badly. It could be frustrating. And it was just golden. Um, you know, everybody was putting ideas on the table, but no one was overly attached that they weren't willing to just pull an idea back. So there was this really great, sharing that went on and also um you know there was no gender crap either you know that the men held forth and the women were you know uh had less power at the table it just felt really good and equal around the around the circle and we ended up creating a um a sculpture that was an architectural model of a sort it was a uh, it was four staircases that came together in a kind of a stepped pyramid but each of the staircases had a social justice narrative. And one of the staircases, uh, we had uh, 
video mapping with each riser of each step of the staircase had different images that uh, in some cases were our feet. Everybody on the team had their feet filmed climbing stairs or miming climbing stairs, and that was projected onto each of the, the stair steps along with other biographical material and information about the design team. Um, the another, another narrative was that there was a staircase that was at, to the home of an elderly person who was nervous about climbing stairs, you know, the, the potential for injury, and depended very much on the handrail. But the local skateboarders were grinding their skateboards on the handrail, which made the handrail loose, which made the elder person more concerned and nervous about that. So I sculpted a handrail that um, would tremble when you approached it. So there was a motion sensor so that when you approached that staircase, the handrail would tremble like it was nervous on your behalf. Uh, over on the uh, toy table, mounted high with toys, um, I found a Gumby. And we sacrificed Gumby's legs, I'm sad to say, but we made a double-ended Gumby leg that was mounted on a motor. And it was perfect because by how much you bended, bent the wire inside the Gumby, you could make the handrail on the stairs tremble more or less. So it was a, it was a way to modify how, how much it trembled. So it was a motion sensor when you would come up. And we had a sound chip that was the sound of a skateboarder grinding on the handrail. But if you don't know that sound, it was just kind of a strange swoop sound that would come out of the middle of the sculpture. So we put augmented reality graffiti all over the stairs uh, with a tag so that anybody could load a global brush, which is a paint program. But when you paint, what you paint has a GPS location. So anybody else that walks into the space where you've painted that has that on their iPad or their iPhone sees your painting where you painted it. So we had graffiti all over the stairs that said, those skateboarders, you know, like cursing out the skateboarders, um, to kind of amplify that part of that story. Uh, there was another staircase that was completely at a different scale because it was a toddler staircase. So it was like stairs look bigger to a small child, so they were larger steps, and they were scattered with toddler toys. Uh, then the fourth staircase was the architecture staircase, and it had sequence lights and architectural cutoffs, uh, cutouts on each of the, the risers. So there was a lot going on, a lot of different narratives, a lot of different stories. Uh, one of our design team um, said that he wanted to capture us before the green screen, uh, looking like we were admiring the sculpture, which we hadn't even built yet. So to go over to the green screen and be it, yes, you found it. And that's the projector on the stairs that is projecting the, the, the video mapping on the, on the risers. Um, in the middle of the sculpture, what I'm about to describe is too small to see, um, but we all stood in front of the green screen as if we were admiring the sculpture that we hadn't yet built and had silhouettes captured of everybody on the design team, which were then um, 3D printed so that there were miniatures of us admiring a miniature of the sculpture on top of the sculpture. Now, uh, we were talking about Gary was about uh, Skylar's uh, abilities and contributions and style of coaching. And we leaned on Skylar ourselves um, uh, every day a, a bit. And I don't know what he thought he was helping us do. But on the final day when we had our sculpture running, he came out to see it. And it was almost like he was... I don't know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he was like, what have you done? It was like, he was kind of freaked out that 
uh, what we had made, it, it was not anywhere in the ballpark of what he thought he was helping us make. So he was very funny about it. He's like, I can't believe this. He was almost like he was angry at us. It was, I mean, not really. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, so anyway, uh, just thought I'd throw that in. Now, you said you're not an educator. How did you end up at CMK? I'm the STEAM artist in residence at a STEAM school in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been you didn't just wander in. Yeah, <laughs> and we do a lot of STEAM research trips. Um, so I've been on uh, like six research trips with groups of like 10 to 20 educators to various cities and been exposed to, like I'd gone to where they make the hummingbirds and learned how to program hummingbirds and make sculptures that animate. So I, I'd been exposed to these things, um, but uh, it was fascinating to be in a community like you gather there. Um, the story circles or the sharing circles, what do you call those in the afternoons? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> my first day, there were these people from Belgium whose school had sent them to CMK without telling them what it was. And one of them in particular was really freaked out. And he was pointing to the tables with the equipment around the perimeter of the room. He's like, I don't know what any of this is and I don't know why I should care. And he was getting very emotional about it. So it was interesting that uh, by the third day, he was having a good time because that first day, I mean, I thought that's kind of strange for a school to send people to CMK without telling them what it is. Uh, like, it would just be good for you. Um, so he was very um, disoriented, but he rallied uh, and uh, was, you know, having a good time by the third day, which I, I heard you say sometimes that happens, that people get Oh, there's, there's definitely an emotional arc that people go through. But, you know, but, you know what's interesting about that observation as well is that um, – there are no icebreakers and we don't teach people how to interact with one another. And we Thank don't you. force people into groups or specify their size. And, Thank and God. well, <laughs> but this is all, this is, this is all part of a, this is all of a piece that rejecting coercion and, um, how do I want to and, and and I think CMK has taught me a great deal about the limits of instruction. Right? That we didn't need you don't need instruction in how to be nice to other people or find someone to work with or stay up late because you care about something or make friends. Um in, in my in my doctoral research when we were working with incarcerated teenagers when we started having really solid breakthroughs that were being recognized by the state um, mental health authorities, one of the psychi psychologists or psychiatrists said to us, yeah, talk therapy doesn't work with children. They have to do something. And I think it's the case for everyone. I think as PIJ teaches us knowledge of the consequence of experience, that we throw everyone into the deep end of the pool with a lot of support and a lot of stuff and a lot and a lot of humor and and it always works and this is one of the lessons i learned from molly watt it, her summer institutes went from three weeks to two weeks to the last year they did it they ran it in boston at the end of the national educational computing conference because it was too good to pass up that there was a conference in the area and we could get people and we could just piggyback onto it and they would stay an extra week and everything would be fine 
And they went through a similar process of brainstorming crazy ideas of what you want to work on. And I remember at the, at the lunch hour, the first day, one of the faculty members completely freaking out and yelling, this is never going to work. They're not going to be able to finish in a week. We have to teach them. And Dan and Molly said, nope, trust the model. It works. And whether we had four days or two weeks or three weeks, the quality of projects were similar. The quality of experience was similar. It, 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 it may have been influenced by different kinds of constraints, but, but the model of less us, more them, of the project being the smallest unit of concern, of having constructive materials available, objects to think with, uh, readily accessible, I, I think tends to work. And the fact that we've been able to do it 12 years in a row um, is, is there are few things in my life that I'm as confident about as I know that on Friday afternoon, there's going to be great projects. And as I said in the earlier session, we marvel at the fact that every year projects are shared that we had no idea were being worked on. I'm not saying I'm omniscient as a teacher and I'm, you know, but we have a, we tend to have a sense of what people are doing. And, and then all of a sudden this, this wonderful thing is presented to us and we have no idea of how it happened or where it came from. And, and let me just say you know, one more thing about yeah. what, let me just say one more thing about what Jeff just pointed out as well. The story you told, if we were to write down, transcribe all the things you said you did and all the technologies you used and all the skills you demonstrated, it would be quite a curriculum. And that was basically the first project anybody in your group did with these kinds of materials and just compare that or contrast that with, with the typical approach to teacher professional development, which is 40 years after microcomputers have become available, we're still, you know, seeking federal aid to train teachers to use an iPad. So we need to raise our expectations. Brian Silverman contributed a few years ago. He said at MIT, when he was a student, the, the implicit ethos of the place was, um, I, how did he express it? it you know, that anything's possible when you don't know what's impossible. Right? That you could do the impossible. You know, the, the, the CMK has been a learning experience for me, too. I mean, I've, I had yeah. – <laughs> Gary has all the confidence in the world. I tend to have no confidence that anything is going to go right. Um, and, you know, when, when we first started CMK, I kept coming up to Gary and going, that person's not doing anything. This person is – they left their group. You know, some what's going – this is bad. We should do this. We should do that. And he'd go, nope, it's going to happen. Don't worry going to happen um you know that this whole idea of trusting the learners just the brenda just put in the chat is is so crucial and it's so un uh, you know it's unaccustomed for someone who's used to making the trains run on time and knowing that if you know that that if you plan things they happen and and you don't you know that's how you make things happen it's a very different stance to say this is going to unfold in a way that I, I don't even expect. And, and, you know, Jared is going on 13 years and I still find myself 
trying to push the process and not trusting the process. And, and it's, it's a tough thing to learn. If you don't know how to do this, just try being lazier. Yeah. <laughs> your, your professional advice. I, I stand by it. <laughs> uh, I see a Marsha's hand up. Marsha. Okay. So, um, Gary, I have to say, you have been like my brother from another parent because you are so, in a lot of ways, like my dad. So I'm going to share this joke and then tell you why I'm sharing it. Um, my father used to always love to tell this story about how this homeless guy is sitting, living in a, in, underneath his newspaper on a park bench in New York City, and he has this raggedy cat. And so he opens the paper one day, and he sees the cat show is happening. So he goes down to Madison Square Garden, and he enrolls his cat in this cat show. And so he's sitting there, you know, with all the other people in there, brushing their cats, and they're grooming their cats. And finally, some people turn, turn to him and say, why would you bring this mangy cat to our cat show? And the homeless guy says, because the exposure will do him good. <laughs> And so all my time from the, like the first few years I was at CMK, I was like the lurker. The exposure did me good. And, you know, it took me a few years to really complete any projects. But what it did for me, because I'm a school librarian, I'm not a technology person, any of that, although I love that stuff, I would go back to school and be the cheerleader for my faculty. We need to do this. I tried this out. You're much better at this than I am, but let me show you my little jacked up project and see what you can do. Janet has gone back every single year from, from CMK and done amazing things. Um, I don't know if you remember the year that Scott um, Roberts came and, they, and he and John Stoper, who's from my school, got together with a bunch of guys and they had this bromance over the whole CMK. And so we go back to school and I'm like, yeah, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this. This is great, this is great. Can I give you materials? Can I sneak it by some stuff and give it to you guys to do your thing? So I've never been like the big tech educator, but I feel like I'm the big tech um, cheerleader for kids, for teachers, for other people. So now here I am, a grandma with an eight-year-old granddaughter, and what she wants to be is an engineer and inventor. And I'm just beside myself that my technology-deficient self has created a child who created a child who all she can think about is, how can I do engineering? How can I build robots? So CMK makes it possible for lurkers who just need the exposure to, to be able to push the agenda and say, yeah, go do it. What can I get for you? How can I help you? So that's my little spiel. But yeah, that's why CMK has been so important to me year after year. You know, I, I think there are so many people who get different things out of this. You, you may consider yourself a lurker, but, you know, Janet just said you're a great collaborator. So you know, people see themselves differently. People need things at different times, too. 
Um, you know, th there was a, a, a woman who came to CMK one year, had an amazing time. She was super active, did an amazing project, came back the next year, and I kept seeing her sitting off in the corner all by herself. And I was, you know, I'm the worry wart, so I'm like over there, how's it going? You okay? You want to join a group? I'll introduce you to people. What are you thinking? What are you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And she, we, we, you know, every time we'd talk for 10, 15 minutes, I'd leave. She'd still be there by herself. And, and at the end of the week, I was like super worried that she'd had a terrible time. And she came up to me and she said, this has been the best week of my professional life. And I'm thinking, how could this possibly be? But she explained it. She was doing what she needed. She was looking around when she needed to. She was having specific conversations with people that she knew and trusted. She was contemplating a big change in, in her professional life. And that's what she needed that week. And so you can't tell from the outside. You can't look from, from, you can't tell from looking at people. You can only tell by long-term engagement, knowing people deeply, you know, sitting next to a kid, you know, I, I do a lot of talk about like uh, girl, ro girls in technology and role models and people are like, oh yeah, I have the posters up and we have a speaker come and, you know, she's an engineer and it's like, it, I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, um, not, I didn't think the girl sitting next to me was the same species as me, much less some adult who was probably 18 or something up on a stage, you know, it, when it, what mo meant the most to me was when a teacher would sit down and look me in the eye and talk to me about noticing me and making me feel like I had something to share. And it, it, they were men, they were women. Um, that didn't matter. It's so important to have these relationships and have time to develop these relationships with, with learners. Um, and I'm, I'm learning all the time still myself. You know, I just want to make one, one other point about maybe what I want to call it as explicit laziness. Um, you may have also noticed we never ask who does what or what you teach. or wh It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I, 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 I found this in schools for years and years and years, decades now. The, 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 the most adventurous mathematician is sometimes a PE teacher. The best engineer is the librarian. Why, why do I want to read your file? Why do I want to know all about what it says on your CV? I, I want to have this, uh, as an educator, I want to have look at you with fresh eyes and an open mind and, an, and a, an open heart. And we don't have the time at CMK to go around a room and have everyone tell us their life story, but it, it's better not to. You're, you're for, you've all mentioned forming really strong interpersonal relationships without any, without any, um, artifice without any stunts associated with it and and it's it, it it warms my heart when we get these amazing projects that are created by preschool a preschool teacher and a physicist and a sculptor and you know something in between um that it just it, it just treats us like like humans and 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 looks to amplify our potential create a context where we can live up to our potential <laughs> So I think we need to kind of come close to wrapping up. We've gone uh, uh, an hour and a half. That's kind of amazing. Um, Heather, you had your hand up. Do you want to you wanna have the last word, and then I'll make some announcements, and, and we'll uh, uh, close this out for the day. All right. I just I want to put in a plug for some of your motherly instincts because I was one of those 
who was I didn't hear you, Gary, the first time you said it. I needed Sylvia to tell me again the first time I was there that it was okay to be selfish and it was okay to do what I needed to do. And um, Sylvia, I think you and Tracy ganged up on me on the first time. I was in the wrong project. It was not feeding my soul. It was something I could have done on my own, not because I'm super smart, but because it just involved, like, you know, hunkering down and learning more about Scratch than I knew. And... Um, I think, Tracy, you said to me, are you doing what you wanted to do sometime in the late in the first day? And I went and slept on it and came back the next morning and no, I was not doing what I wanted to do. And um, I did something else that, that you know, um, Marsha, I think I left your group and I, I missed you guys, but I needed to do what I needed to do. And that's part of both treating teachers like the adults that they are. But Sylvia, it's also part of that looking out for people, you know, less you, but still ask the question, right? Are you doing what you want to do is a reasonable question. And I think we should ask it of students more often, but I'm really glad that you and or Tracy, and I can't remember who it was, you know, made me answer it. So um, that part of the ethos comes back into my teaching too. And I think it's well, important. All, all I'll add is, that's why I have a team of people I trust, <laughs> right? Because people have different strengths. And because not everyone, if you don't know what you need at the moment, any, any individual teacher might not be, know that at that moment either. But having three or four or five um, adults who are, have a collegial relationship with you, one of them might be able to fill that need closer to the time in which it's it's expressed so that's you know it's an it's an argument for team teaching so um i, I want to thank all of you these stories have been fantastic uh you know when it started i was like oh my god how are we going to fill up all this time and of course you know this was not a problem um i want to share a couple of uh, of announcements um Let's see. I'm gonna skip. Skip, skip, skip. I'll put that one up. Put the John one up. Picture. Yeah. The next picture. Put the next picture up. This one? The the next one in your slide deck, 35. Oh right. Okay. So <laughs> that was John Baglio. He was gonna be here, but he couldn't he couldn't make it. Um, you know, it's just like there's so much to celebrate. There's so many things we can learn. There's so many things that are yet to be discovered inside of ourselves and, and in the world. I, I think this is, I know it's a crazy time. This is, this is insanity, what we're trying to live, live through. It, it's, a, it's making everyone crazy, um, especially when, when you have responsibilities for young people and, and your own families and the world and, you know, Things seem to be conspiring against us having sensible solutions. Um, it's it's even it's even more important to cling to the things that that make life worth living and and the the principles that you find to be most important um, and celebrate things that 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 come your way. Um, we are planning on having CMK next year. I'll cross your fingers, cross your toes that. We sort this crazy time out and can once again travel and be together and hang over each other's shoulders and share a meal. 
um, and share our, our time and space together. Um, Lenora Skenazy, Alfie Cohn, and Peter Martin, who are all supposed to be here this week in Manchester with us, have all said that they will uh, do their best to be there next year. We'll have the registration up soon enough. We, we have your email addresses now. You will be uh, informed of all of this, and we hope to see you next year in Manchester. Um, in uh, not too long from now, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m., but uh, 5 p.m. Pacific time, uh, Gary is going to do an Ask Me Anything with Alfie Cohn. Uh, Alfie uh, is going to answer any and all questions that, that you have for him uh, about uh, his work, his writing, uh, what's going on in the world today, or anything else you want to know. Um, and that's all that we have. And I thank you so much for being here and sharing your, your wisdom and fantastic selves. And uh, next year in New Hampshire... Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Stay safe, stay sane. We love you. We hope you enjoyed this Constructing Modern Knowledge podcast. Our theme music is Jazz Impromptu by Brian Lynch, HolisticMusicWorks.com. For podcasts and additional inspiration, check out our website, live.constructingmodernknowledge.com. Be sure to visit cmkpress.com. That's cmkpress.com for books by creative educators for creative educators.